Hello, welcome to another episode of Unpacking Neuroqueerness. Uh, today I have an, another special guest back on the podcast, my father, George Gund. Uh, you might remember oh. our discussion. Welcome, Dad. You might remember our discussion from episode 50 where we talked about his late ADHD diagnosis um, and, you know, a little bit about what it was like um, with my, you know, um, raising an autistic child, you know, so my, um, kind of the tying into, uh, me being autistic as well. And today we're going to talk about, uh, a few different things, a variety of things. Um, first I, I wanted to, I'm going to ask my dad a little bit about his passion for, uh, photography and and uh so yeah dad i wanted to to ask you a little bit about because you know you had a, a studio in the city and you have a website with your photography still i believe um so yes. i wanted you to talk a little bit about it uh, and a little bit about like if you think there was any relation um to like being neurodistinct and because i we i do find that a lot of artists are neurodistinct and a lot of neurodistinct people become artists. So I, I wanted to kind of get your perspective on, on that. What kind of led you into art? So I think there's a couple things. Um, it's, you can't really, like, art isn't something that you do if you're looking at the world without some sort of different lens. You know, yes. you, you, you have to kind of see things from a different perspective or angle to make it art. Um, for me, photography came around for a couple of things. Gore Vidal, who was a, a writer of some talent, said that photography is the art for the untalented. And I think what he meant to say is you don't need to be a particularly good, uh, uh, you don't have to have any physical skills as far as drawing, painting, um, etching, sculpturing, um, you don't necessarily have to, I mean, you can take photographs of things and make a lot of money without any artistic, uh, in you know, uh, basically I call it like the benefit photo, mm -hmm. you know, um, you can follow celebrities around and sell photos of them, you know, mm -hmm. especially in compromising situations yeah. for quite a bit of money yeah. uh, you can also go to a school uh, work with some of the greatest minds in, in that particular art form you can do medium large format whatever and um, you can end up uh, not making any money in fact in deep deep debt but uh, you know with this fantastic artistic sensibility um, I actually do want to kind of throw out something I was uh, going to talk to your sister about. Okay. It's called what I call the Hasselblad, Hasselblad complex, since we're talking about photography. Okay. Um, and this is the thing about photography, I should say, is it is an art form, mm -hmm. in my opinion, and I think yes, you can I agree. It is absolutely it's an, it's an art form. Uh -huh. It is also very technical. Yeah. In the way that sketching, drawing, painting, those things are not utilized as day-to-day -day, um, registers of, of information, mm. things happening, mm -hmm. occurrences. 
Yeah. You don't have, I mean, even, even there up until a couple years ago, there are sketchings in uh, major newspapers or magazines. Um, that I think the police still employ sketch artists, obviously to draw, um, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, me- memories of, of, uh, you know, criminals or whatever, but it's not a, it's not a professional, you know, it's not, it's not something done on a professional level to the degree that photography is. Yeah. Um, and especially nowadays, digital photography. So the Hasselblad complex was a couple years ago. And, it, and Hasselblad is the name everyone knows. It's for a medium format, you know, mm-hmm. a high quality camera. Yeah. Um, I didn't have a Hasselblad. I actually had a Contact 645, which is a medium format contacts camera. Used all the same lenses and stuff, uh, not lenses, but uh, flashes and other cords as my Canon equipment. And it took beautiful photographs. Um, but the issue is you can only reload a medium format camera so quickly. Uh, it is by nature bulky, it is very loud. The shutter is, is much louder. So if you're in a theater or a quiet place, you will upset people much mm-hmm. more <laughs> mm-hmm. than if you're just using a regular camera. So, um, and I found that <laughs> I was missing a lot of images because of the bulkiness and quirkiness of this equipment, not the, the demands of it. Whereas with digital equipment, um, the image is absolutely not, uh, it is, it is way inferior mm. in quality and, you know, but you get more images and um, in photography, I think really when the, the, best, the best camera you have is the one that is in working order when the aliens land in your backyard. That's, mm. that's what it is. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a Hasselblad. It could be your phone. It could be yeah. you know, anything that will register the image. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you want to compose with light, then I recommend a high edge camera. But, but that just gives you the capacity to do incredible things. That doesn't necessarily mean you will. And this has been part of my issue as a neurodivergent mm-hmm. with photography is that it, um, it demands a lot of patience and it demands lightning reflexes and, um, to get, to get really good images. Mm. Um, and those things can be challenging. And I've had a lot of actual, like, actual focus issues yeah uh, <laughs> mostly because of you know the, i mean i just uh photography was a complicated thing for me i'm very lucky that i never had to survive uh because mm-hmm. i don't think any of us would have if i were doing that as a primary source of revenue mm-hmm. uh, when i did actually make money as a photographer it was uh, dancing um, events, you know. Uh, yeah. You lived in Brazil. I would do. I, I think I took you to help yeah, me with that. I came to uh, a couple, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so the, the interest in that was kind of, I did for, I did video with um, uh, some other people. When I was in high school, we actually we had a uh, local television station that allowed us to put a, a television show together and broadcast it and then after high school i did that with a couple friends of mine we had kind of a comedy i guess you could call it a comedy show this was pre-internet pre-youtube but it was kind of that level that we yeah. didn't understand 
Um, I'd like to see that footage. You still have it. Sorry? I I will look for some of it. Hopefully most of it's been buried or it's in like a safe box with my name on it. Maybe I'll find it. Important enough to to, to bring it out into the earth and ruin my career. But anyhow, no, some of it's pretty bad. I mean, not bad in like poor acting. There's that too, but some of it's just questionable. Anyhow. By by any standards, mm-hmm. even at that, even at the looser standards of the day, some of our art was, yeah. However, um, I was doing video, and I liked that a lot. But that requires a lot more people, you know. Mm-hmm. And photography. Actually, what happened is my dad had, in his neurodivergence, had yeah. discarded several cameras because they were missing, like the battery pack or. Some basic little thing needed mm. to be fixed. And once I got my hands on those, I had, had I think, two Minolta bodies. I had an old Canon. There was an Olympus, a Contax. He had beautiful Contax. And these were all like, it was interesting because they were still film cameras. Uh, some of them were like uh, people who know photography. Um, they were, you know, you had to wind them. Uh, and then uh, some of them, the Contax were all automatic. So they had an automatic film um, film feed, I think mm. it's called. I, can't, I actually used to teach photography. It's kind of fascinating that so little of it has been retained. Um, but uh, so I had some very nice cameras that I basically just acquired by doing basic fixes mm. to them. And then I got a Canon set up for my birthday. And, um, and I had a small child, yeah. which you. Mm-hmm. So I was taking lots of photos. That's pretty much that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, and so do you still have your website? Because I can link it. If you still have it, I'll link it. I mean, it is there. Uh, I don't even know. I think I have a, the wrong address on it still. I had updated it from the really wrong address, and it's still like a couple addresses back. I mean, hopefully I got it. Okay. So well, we that. can I'll, – I'll check later, and, and if, if we can find it, I'll link it. Um, and I also wanted to ask you before we get into these other topics that we, we were planning to do, um, I wanted to ask you about your current work with Blue Marble Acres and uh, a little bit about like how you got the idea and the inspiration for that. Okay, I, I have to tell you, there's, I don't know exactly how to link this into neuroqueerness. That's so okay. I'm not going to try. All right. Uh, but... Uh, Basically, I am in possession of a dairy in West Marin. Um, it is a large piece of land uh, by most of our standards. It's about almost 800 acres. Um, it has been a dairy farm for uh, the last, I'd say, night. Well, I think actually since 1865, they've been running cows here. Uh, the same family's had it for 90 years. Um and we're going to be closing down the dairy. There's about 800 cows of various ages and, and types that live here. All well, none of them are beef cows, and there's, those are going to be moving off. And we plan to put in farms for people from the city, people you know, local people, to have access to growing their own things. Um, potatoes grow exceptionally well out here. Um, other crops. It is kind of, it's actually kind of like the city in that there's a lot of fog even in the summer months. Yeah. Um, but we have very fertile, rich soil. We have a lot of people who are used to small scale agriculture. We don't do like miles of 
tractors and grids. Um, so it's a very uh, exciting project. This, uh, it's our, our website is bluemarbleacres.earth, which is a mouthful, but um, if you could link to that. Yeah, I'll link to that. Because that'll sure. give people yeah. a little more. Um, yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, and uh, we have a, uh, so basically we have a, a project that is um, agriculture where we have orchards and, and fields for growing crops. And then we have um, some natural land that we hope to restore uh, with the help of local indigenous groups, um, indigenous led groups. So Sounds great. Thank yeah. you. Um, I will be linking. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, let's, so now we are going to get into the unique topics we've selected for today. Uh, I think the first one I wanted to talk about uh, is the name George, because I remember you, you said you had some thoughts on that. So uh, we can get into that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Um, as I've begun sort of this farming endeavor, uh, I was reminded that the name George is actually from, I think, Greek, which I'll try not to slaughter, but it's Yorgos or something, mm -hmm. and it's farmer. Um, mm -hmm. in Greek, yeah, and uh, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, um, absolutely. That is our name, yeah. and I basically wanted to kind of ask you because now is the opportunity. Um, what do you think of the name George? Uh, um, I like it. I, I I don't think I realized until recently that it was associated with farmer. Um, but I I've always liked it. I've always resonated with the name um i think it's important also to like carry it on because it's been in the family since you know george the first and, and you're george the fourth yeah. and the fifth um and so you know I, I i've heard about the other names that my mom has talked about that that she wanted to name me and it's just um it didn't, I mean, maybe I would have felt differently about, but I'm just so used to, to the name George now that it, it, it would feel What weird. are some of those names? Well, Mateos, uh, Francisco. Francisco? Yeah, it's because Mateos, I don't think. pretty cool. I mean, Mateos wouldn't, I think people here would pronounce it Mateo, so it would be kind of, I don't know how that would go. Um, Mateos. Mateos, yeah, see, the pronunciation wouldn't, I, I don't know how that would go. Like, uh, Luana, my, our, my sister, as you know, gets kind of frustrated. Um, by Luana. Yeah, so, so I, 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 I could sense how I might have ended up having that frustration. And um, with Francisco, I mean... It, it kind of makes sense because of San Francisco, like me living in, in the Bay Area. Um, but I, I definitely resonated. I've always resonated with the name George. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that name. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, it was a pretty easy choice, I guess. I mean, she didn't put up much of a fight for Francisco or anything mm -hmm. else. We probably should have thrown in some extra middle names, or we could have. Well, I, uh, I think I'm happy with... I appreciate not yeah. having a, too many middle names. When you go, so when I lived in Brazil, I would I would say Jorge 
because you mm-hmm. say Jorge and they and spell it with George, a J, but it's with a J. And mm-hmm. the same as like Jorge in Spanish. And quite honestly, in my opinion, in all three of those languages, it's a weird sound, or it's like a couple of weird. Like yeah, Jorge is a, is an okay sound. The er and the J, another again, it's mm-hmm. just like George. It, it is and a bit of a weird. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, in Brazil, some people would be like, "Hey." George, and they would mm. like pronounce it actually kind of like Americans. Yeah. Uh, but but it would just come out funny. And usually it would be George, George, sometimes like mm-hmm. George. Mm-hmm. It would almost like yeah, Josh. I remember. Like, oh, yeah, that's me. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's, a, it's an interesting name, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, most people who have it are characters. Yeah. There's I, definitely, a, I mean, there's the George Bushes. It's mm. kind of. <laughs> yeah. <there's... laughs> oh my god. But we got Clooney. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, I wanted yeah. to just check in. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. I. For sure. That's. Um. I'm glad we had that check in, and I think it is very fitting that it is that it does come from farmer, and that you now are working with farming. Um. Anyways. Uh. Yeah. Let's get on to the next topics. Uh some very interesting topics that we have planned for today. Um, So the next thing you wanted to talk about is, now I'm going to give a little precursor to this. We're going to talk about condensation, nuclei, and spirituality. So I just wanted to explain a little bit because, of course, you're already familiar because having a son that's into meteorology, you've heard me explain this a lot. But to those that aren't familiar with condensation nuclei, I'll try to explain it quickly. Um, So basically, when a cloud forms, um, it needs, when you have, you know, moisture rising up in the atmosphere, cooling, condensing, forming a cloud, it needs to, it condenses, the the water vapor condenses onto something. It'll latch onto a particle of, air um and and that is uh you know a particle of something uh, in the air that, like dirt that maybe some dust dirt or dust uh, or salt um yeah it's and it's all organic that's... compounds compounds yeah it's right? yeah but... i just i because i mm-hmm. may be wrong <laughs> well that's from my understanding but it's it, like... it is hydro uh Okay, so there, and it, it's certain kinds of, 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 of condensation nuclei because there are kinds uh, that are hydrophobic, hydrophobic. Which, which do not yeah. uh, attract water or they deflect. They, um, right. And then there are con- they're the ones that do, um, and I can't remember the exact name now, but they, they the ones that do attract water. Um, and, and the ones that do attract water are the the ones that you know form clouds and such um wait they form like drops of well they the that the clouds that the water droplets latch onto and then form the clouds and the drop of rain yeah um Okay. So essentially, so they yeah. So cloud, and then out of the clouds come the rain, right? The condensation nuclei. Yes. So out of the clouds, once the cloud builds enough, um, with the right conditions, of course, uh, it eventually will mm-hmm. dump right rain. Conditions. Yes. 
Anyways, I'm yes. not. I won't get too much into that, but um. Oh no, you've done so. There's a little you. bit um, of that. And so, yeah, for context, that's what condensation nuclei is. And now, uh, yes, tell me about your thoughts on condensation nuclei and spirituality. There are many. Okay, so first of all, um, uh, it's exciting to me that this is something you taught me, condensation nuclei. Mm -hmm. um, now, I have a spiritual belief um, that there is two parts to everything. The glass is half empty and it is half full. Um, and there are some other exceptions to the rule and, and third ways and things like that. But generally, I break it down like that. And uh, I'm going to make an exception to my own rule because when I give someone credit for something, I also have to kind of blame them for the negative effects of whatever I credited them with giving. And I'm not going to blame you for the somewhat depressing side effects of this theory because it's not really your fault it came to me. Thank you for not but blaming me. The way you're welcome. The way I understood condensation nuclei as it applies to humanity and our spirits is that there is a piece of us that comes from Earth. Mm -hmm. uh, it is uh, an organic compound, let us say. Yeah. And it in itself is not what makes us. We're not just clumps of dirt, right? We have been fused with something cosmic, with something universal. And I think water is just about the best representation. Perhaps oxygen's a little better. Now, billions of people who have read books that have given them spiritual fulfillment uh, might be upset. And some people who probably haven't read any of these things would be upset because I am basically saying part of us is, you know, dirt. Part of us is of the earth. Part of us is not spiritual, sacred, or wonderful. Um, mm -hmm. The other part of us is, and mm -hmm. that's what makes us us, right? And... Um, uh, we we have to come to terms with the duality of ourselves. Um, uh, I, I had to. I had to come to terms with this. Mm -hmm. This was important to me. It was a spiritual quest that I went on, wanting to figure out the basic, uh, you know, process of what makes us who we are, and and the theory of condensation nuclei fit very well for me because it was, in the way I saw it, a bonding of something earthbound, something carbon-based, something profane, meshed within and around and uh, um, inside of something uh, beautiful and sacred. And... Um, these, these forces move between us. Um, obviously, many of us want to cast off what is unpleasant, what is not, you know, the highest high and the greatest good. Mm -hmm. And that's just not really going to work out uh, entirely because those things will accumulate. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I know. I myself uh, go through, and I think, and I did want to tie this into neurodivergence. This was something we talked about a Earlier. Obviously, having these kinds of thoughts isn't something that most people do, much less share upon the internet, 
that well, they certainly don't share. Business. Yeah, and it's the way they experience them can. It's not the same usually. Like, cause neurodivergent people, in my experience, tend to experience more feelings more intensely. Absolutely. Well, I think that one of the things about this is that it was very intense mm-hmm. for me to kind of feel this like I am with everyone else, but we're not all that. I mean, we're in an incredible uh, uh, um, race, I suppose, species, you know, uh, you know, humanity is something beautiful, but it also is very basic and there's a lot to be improved upon. Mm-hmm. Um, and this can, if you take this stuff to heart, it can be very, very uh, challenging. Um, and I think that's, that's a, that's how I frame it within my own neurodivergence. I think for a lot of people who are neurodivergent, there is a very clear uh, uh, um, border between yourself and other people. I mean, the neurodivergence is not, but at the same time, we are creating a bond within the community. You see? Yeah. Well, because, so by the time yeah. we are neuroqueer, we mm-hmm. are not like you, uh, but we are like us. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, you can't really, and, and what I would like to see for neuroqueers, for, you know, LGBTQ, for anybody who is in a situation where they don't feel a part of, there is somewhere where you are a part. Yeah, exactly. There is a community for you, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. Um, you're going to find, and, and, and don't be upset if it's not everything you imagine. Yeah, Unicorns don't pop over rainbows while butterflies... Saying it's going to have, I found something, this is kind of my last of the spiritual, you know, downers. I went to the mountain. I went to the Zona Sur in Costa Rica where people live long, long lives, right? Mm -hmm. And I met a woman who taught me how to make tortillas and she explained how I could make them better next time. And we sat and I peppered this poor woman with questions. I probably had, she's probably one of her most exciting days in the last 60 years. But um, I just wanted to know, I'm like, listen, you're here. You're part of this culture of people who live long lives. What's it like? She's like, it is chilled. In, in so many words, mm-hmm. she related to me that you have to, um, you know, smooth things out if you want to be around a long time. Yeah. You have to take things easy. You can't have a lot of drama. You can't have a lot of soda pop. You can't have a lot of anything, really. Mm-hmm. You have to take things in moderation. Yeah. It is good to plant and grow your own things. It is good to have physical exercise. It's essential to have some physical exercise. All the people who live these long lives are not sedentary. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not really for me uh, on a lot of levels. Uh, and I'm not saying that I don't want to live a long life. I certainly don't. I, I certainly want to live a healthy life to the degree possible, but I have come to the realization that it would require mind-numbingly boredom. Like I would have to change my neuropathology yeah. mm-hmm. ways. I don't know what the word is. Um, I would have to become Your a different structure, person. essentially. Or I don't know the the ways because it's really it's also about it's not just the brain structure, but it's um the way that we experience the world and the way we 
interpret it, the way we process it, the way we go about things in general, I suppose. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So thank you for filling me in on the CN. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, because I think it's, I mean, some of it is related to the brain, like, physically, but I think a lot of it is related to just the way we see the world as well. And I've, I've always noticed that, you know, like myself, you've had a, a, a very unique vision of the world. Um, and uh, it just, yeah, it's like, and I've met more and more people that are also neurodivergent, that also have a very different view of the world and a lot of times it's I don't know they're neurodivergent and they might not even know they're neurodivergent and then but I know like they they I've all I like feel this connection with them like uh one example is our uh, your cousin Catherine who just got diagnosed ADHD recently like it, it just made so much sense like her hyperactivity and like how she's always like um like she puts she has all these projects and like we got to do this we got to do that we got to do this um, and, uh, you know, like another one is my friend Lisa, um, who, who she also found out that she's also autistic just a few years ago. Um, and her diagnosis actually came way later than mine, but we were, we were good friends as, as you remember, we were good friends in kindergarten. Um, yes. and I, I didn't really think about it like in a, I wasn't thinking about it from like a neurodivergent perspective at the time, but I always wondered like, or I always, it was great, you know, but I always found it interesting. Like, oh, you know, Lisa and I get along very well. And it's like it, for both of us, it felt like we didn't, it was harder for us to, to get along with the other kids, but we mm -hmm. got along with each other really well. And I've always noticed that, that special connection with Lisa. And then, you know, when I, moved back to the US, we reconnected and hung out a few times uh, when she was living in California. And then she ended up moving up to Oregon, uh, where she uh, they are in Oregon now. Um, and um, anyways, um, well, that's... let me ask you this, then, uh, from a neurodivergent standpoint, is I mean, and, and I think it's, I don't know if, if that's the, there's a Venn here. Sorry, there's also a lot of That's okay. But uh, there's, um, I think younger, I'd, I'd like to know your particular uh, viewpoint on spirituality. Because uh, we didn't really, we, you were baptized Syrian Orthodox. Because yeah. we went to the church. Uh, we thought we were, your, 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 your dear mom your mom was reading some Italian literature, the Inferno, and there's a level of hell just for babies who haven't been baptized. And that became a problem for her. She was like, we got to get the kids baptized. Oh my God, Chris Credo. And I'm like, okay, fine, fine. Let's go to Brazil. Uh, my brother came down. Your, mm. your, your aunt was the, your godmother. And, your, and um, we show up at the church and your, my, uh, your grandmother comes up to me and she's like, don't get upset, but it's a Syrian Orthodox church. And they were actually praying in Aramaic, which is the language that Jesus spoke, which I thought was super cool. And they also had Arabic and, of course, Portuguese. 
Um, and it was it was very comical. And there's a tape of that somewhere too. Oh, I want to see so that tape. Yes, I got to find that. Now I was I was baptized Episcopalian. Mm. My brother, I think, is Unitarian. Uh, your mom, if she was baptized at all, was probably Catholic. Mm. Uh, so none of us, I don't think, even really understand what those words mean anymore. Mm. You went to JCC to a Jewish community school. I did. School, yes, I did. Oh very God. awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, we have a, a, a tenuous link to Judaism through my grandfather. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yes, I would like to know what you know. Yeah, I mean, I you can you know like I from a remember. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, I do remember the the getting baptized at the Syrian Orthodox Church. I think at that time, especially at that time, I really didn't understand pretty much any of what was going on. I knew that I was just being taken to this church because we had to do this ceremony that was really important. Um, And so, you know, Greg was there and Chichia was there. So I was like, okay, yeah. cool. Like, we're doing this ceremony. Everyone's here. Um, and then uh, <laughs> I started to, like, understand more about, or at least somewhat more about, like, what religion meant, uh, what spirituality meant. Um, and um, I've never, like, identified with a particular religion, but... Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel like sometimes I I feel more, more attracted to spirituality. And I think that might have somewhat to do with being neurodivergent. Um, you know, just thinking of like, thinking beyond life, like thinking of spirits and thinking of, of life after death and, um, things like that. Well, may I interject quickly? You did go to some of these Centro Spiritu. Okay, yeah, I do vaguely remember that. Yeah. So. Oh, interesting. So you, you, that's was not that like the Vedanta Society or was that somewhere no, else? No, no. Vedanta was when I forgot about that. Thanks for reminding me. Uh, you did go to Vedanta when you were uh, pretty young. Um, you were in a play. Yeah, uh, I do vaguely remember that. Old. Maybe that's where I started getting into and, acting. And the, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. The, so the Vedas are the the Hindu, uh, what we call Hinduism. Um, it's actually the Hindus from the Indus River. They are the Vedic texts, and the Vedanta Society is uh, one of the, I think the oldest um, Vedic uh, societies in the United States. And uh, I went there with my parents. Don't remember it very much. It was in our neighborhood in San Francisco. Yep. It's they have a gorgeous building where you went to Sunday school. Mm-hmm. Webster and uh, Greenwich, I think. Filbert. Filbert. Yeah, Greenwich. Webster and Filbert. It's, no, it's Filbert. It's it Filbert. one down from you. Mm-hmm. So it's Filbert, and uh, they had another place at Vallejo and Fillmore, where the actual temple was. And I would go there, and you know, we would pray, and the Swami was there. Some people would kiss his feet. Some wouldn't. I wasn't much of a fur kisser, but I respected him deeply. And I had, a, it was very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, it was always very warm. It didn't feel overly, uh, like, you know, pushed on you. You know, he was yeah. just like, uh, so, uh, yeah, 
but it's interesting that you say, oh, yeah, there was that, because I, it, what you're saying about spirituality kind of sounds like what, um, you know, what they would talk about. Yeah, you know I, mean? I think it probably did come from that, um, even though I don't remember, like, the lectures, like, verbatim. Um, I, mm-hmm. I think it did kind of stick in my head throughout life because I always have uh, felt that I was more, more on the side of those who, who do believe in spirits than, than not, um, not mm-hmm. to say that I ever got like, I didn't ever get like so hyper-focused on it that I made it like, you know, I could have gotten a lot more serious about it. Like, um, you know, really considered myself a, a highly spiritual person. Um, right. But I do consider myself a somewhat spiritual person. Um, well, I, if, if I can go any more controversial than the condensation nuclei theory, um, do you... Uh, so I, I went to a shaman with your sister in mm-hmm. L.A., um, that, that's keeping it pretty, pretty. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, vague, I think. But the shaman said, and I'd heard this before and since, that uh, traits are spirits. You know, every like things we do, like like Luana being late, just like grunts, just like grunts, just like grandpa, right? Mm-hmm. The same, or like sometimes you'll be like, you know, when you're like, hey, you're gonna eat that, and I'm like, oh my god, there's grandpa. You know, these are traits that people share. Yeah, I have uh-huh. many of them all over my mom. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and, and, and I, I say this with all respect as a, you know, uh, as one who desires knowledge. Do you think neurodivergent traits could be like a spirit that is in you? You know what I mean? Like uh, something unique to you. Perhaps. Or something like... That is not mm-hmm. like so. The way that it was mm-hmm. put forth is like our traits and our and it, and it's an interesting. I I, I don't feel a hundred like I'm not selling this theory. I'm just exposing it. Is that like everything about us is sort of something made up of? We are made up of many traits, just like our bodies have lots of organisms and all that. Um, and the neuro and neurodiver. I mean, like I certainly consider my brain to be mine. Like all mine, mm-hmm. nobody else has one. There are people who look a lot like me, people who sound like me, people who have like, you know, varying interests, but I think and see the world in a unique way, in my opinion. Um, yeah. Um, uh, and I, so I think, I'm sorry. No, I, um, I was just thinking, uh, I think uh, it might have something to do. I, I hadn't really thought about it in depth, uh, but, but um it does kind of make sense to me that there it is kind of there seems to be at least for me kind of a spiritual difference with with being neurodivergent like when i compare myself to neurotypical peers um it does feel like a a little bit of an energy or a spiritual kind of thing perhaps so i remember um one thing you wrote, uh, and it was in a, you, you were writing an article about, um, it was, uh, I think President Obama was saying that he was going to send missiles and bombs to keep the peace. Oh, it was for, where, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Do you I remember? Know. I remember okay. that, yeah. And I, yeah. I did criticize him in that uh, because... So it was a paper that I had to write for this class I was taking at City College. Um, and I, I thought that... And I mean, my neurodivergent brain, my literal thinking brain, was just automatically thrown off by that. I was like, wait, wait, wait. We're bombing people? We're throwing... We're, we're throwing missiles for peace. I was like, yes. that makes no sense. That made that just to start. And I mean, it speaks to the larger, like, in the, the problem with imperialism. And, and I, I could go off about that. But um, I'm just like, yeah, that was something that was just like, right. And, and yeah, that just blew my mind right away. Like, how do you how do you put missiles and peace in the same sentence yes yes uh, yeah i remember no it was like uh he says he wants to use missiles and bombs to keep the peace whereas the it's you know the primary purpose of these is to make wars to yes. not mm. yes uh-huh. and it was just very it was like all these other like brains just aren't seeing this you know mm-hmm. all these other uh people who are capable of understanding yeah. how ridiculous the concept of keeping peace through war can be. Just don't even look that way. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it's good that those voices can now be heard a little better. Yeah. Um, uh, For sure. I think. Um, yeah. So uh, I just, I brought that up to say that like, there are things that, um, you see clearer, you know, you're, you're unencumbered by, you know, just things that other people are, are slowed down or, or impeded by. Yeah. You know? Um, you're also mm-hmm. like, not, you know, that, that can go both ways, obviously like everything, but, um, in a lot of ways I see it as a positive. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, so I think, I know we have one more topic to cover, Cosmic duality. I, I I remember you mentioned you also had some thoughts on that. Yeah, cosmic duality is uh, the term I was using for yin yang, uh, like you know, negative positive, uh, above below, earth sky. The, the the there's I don't know if cosmic duality is actually a term that means what I think it does. That's why I'm a little hesitant <laughs> to declare mm-hmm. it as such. But it basically means there are two sides to everything. And that I kind of described with my condensation nuclei ethereum is that um, we as human beings um, come to this earth through a series of consequences um, that requires dirt rising into the sky and water falling to the ground. Um, That's our most basic. Obviously, Mm -hmm. we evolve into beings with spirits and thoughts and emotions and our own, you know, unique quirks and quirks that are unique to us and millions of others. So, um, and in every basic way, we find, uh, you know, our uniqueness and community. Yeah, uh, definitely. So that's pretty much it. I mean, I could go on. It gets kind of dull after a while. It's okay. But the truth is, it's come yeah. to me. That's mm-hmm. like, I'm no longer questing for spiritual, you know, mm-hmm. uh, information. I'm, yeah. I'm there. I'm good. Uh, I can do other things. Well, cool. Um, I think this was all. 
this was all really great. Um, I, I'm really excited about this episode. I think we we covered a lot of different stuff, and it, it'll it'll give a, a good variety of of things. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks again for coming on. Um, Thank you for having yeah. me. Uh, and and it, yeah, it took us a while to get this to happen, yeah. but uh, it was definitely worth it. I yeah. appreciate it. You know, I, I'm uh, George. I am very happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the work one, you're yeah. doing and very proud of you as a dad thank and, you and really a thrill for me as well thanks. so yeah thanks um yeah i'm really happy to be able to host you again um for those of you who haven't checked out episode 50 uh check that out as well our first episode together um and yeah thank you all for listening i hope you enjoyed this episode and i'll see you next time